The following message is by Pastor Andrew Beto, pastor of First Baptist Church of Orchard, Texas. More information on First Baptist Church Orchard can be found at fbcorchard.com. Last week we talked about the death of Antonin Scalia and what a shock that was to the Christian community and how he has in many ways served as a bulwark of Christianity uh, in our courts. Uh, and the more that we, the more that I read about Antonin Scalia, he was like this guy that nobody really knew about, that had this incredible impact on our religious freedoms and on our ability to operate in our culture. Uh, but he, almost more importantly, the man seems to have been a fairly devout Christian. Uh, the words that are attributed to him, the quotes that he has made, were I- incredibly faithful. His statement about his statements about Jesus demonstrated a, a very high Christology. He was a Christian, and we've lost him now. And it, and it seems like just another in a long string of losses for Christianity in America. Since, uh, since 2007, the number of Christian Americans has declined by 8%. Right? If you look at it, Christianity across the board is in decline, numbers-wise. In fact, one study showed that for every four additional dropouts from church, there is only one additional person who enters the church. So we're losing four and gaining one. Those are bad numbers, no matter who you are. Those are bad numbers. But, But it's not just the fact that we're losing numerically. We're losing politically as well. It used to be that that conservative evangelical Christianity was the mainstay of the political class. Like that, that was what you, that's what political parties, uh, the, the Democratic Party tried to get Catholics, the, the Republican Party tried to get evangelical Protestants. And, and as a portion, that's also going away. I think it went from 20, 27% to 14%. It, the, the percentage is shrinking. And as it shrinks, our say in the way that our laws are made are lost. So we're losing numerically. We're losing in influence. And, and we're losing in our ability to speak truth into the culture. We're losing our ability to, to influence the culture. By whatever indicator you choose to look at, our culture is a mess. For the first time in almost a hundred years, the life expectancy of Americans is not increasing. It's decreasing. And it's not decreasing because we have more diseases. It's decreasing because our rates of alcoholism, drug abuse, and suicide are through the roof. We are literally drinking, drugging, and killing ourselves to death. That's pretty depressing. That's pretty disturbing. It means in many ways that the church in America is failing. We're failing. And when a church, when a community, when a group of people comes to a place, when we have failed, this, this question comes back, like, why, why, why are we failing? Why are we failing? 
Christ promised us power, right? Christ promised that he would be with his church, that he would send us out on mission to do his will and that, and that we would have divine power and that we, we should be triumphant, right? We should be going from success to success, from win to win. Why are, why are, we, not, why are we not winning? It feels like I'm riding on the bus back from football games back when I used to play for Terry, and we were terrible. I've taken many, many cold bus rides home. We were like, I, I tried as hard as I could. I fought as hard as I could, and we just lost. Just, just outclassed. Guys three feet taller than me and can run ten times faster than me and, and can handle the ball and can, I mean, just like these genetically engineered super players how how did i keep losing and it is at times like this that it is comforting for us to look back at the disciples of jesus right his original followers and see that they suffered the same things that we suffer from Right? They didn't go from success to success. They didn't just have this long string of victories. Over and over and over again in the Gospels, we see them mess it up, drop the ball. Like if they were a football team, they would have run the ball in the opposite direction. We come in a long line of screw-ups. And so we should feel in good company. This morning we're going to be reading from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 17, beginning in verse 14, and we're going to see a failure that happens among the disciples. In verse 14, if you guys remember, Jesus has just been up on the mountain, right? He has been with his disciples. They've been up on the mountain. Jesus has gone up with Peter, James, and John. They have witnessed Christ change in front of them. His face literally glows like the filament on a light bulb. God comes down onto the mountain as a cloud and declares that Jesus is his beloved son and that God is well pleased with him. This is a divine stamp of approval on the ministry of Jesus. This is literally the high point of Jesus' ministry. And now Jesus is descending back down in the valley. And so, as so often happens in the Christian life, these mountaintop experiences, these successes are followed very quickly by a reminder of the world that we live in. And so Jesus is about to be reminded of the world that we live in. In chapter 14, it says, When they came down the mountain, when they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water, and I brought him to the, your disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered them, You unbelieving and perverted generation how long shall i be with you how long shall i put up with you bring him here to me and jesus rebuked him and the demon came out and the boy was cured at once see jesus has returned from the mount of transfiguration right he has had this incredibly 
powerful experience. And now he is coming back down the mountain into the valley, surrounded by his disciples. And he is being reminded of all of the failures that are there. He's being reminded of the fallenness of the world that he has been sent to. He has been sent to a world where a man has a child that is so sick that the child can't be trusted by himself. He's, he's out of his mind. Uh, the scripture says, uh, this, this translation is a lunatic. It's probably a better translation to say a, uh, an epileptic. But, the, but there's, there's these demonic overtones to it because he's, he's not just, he doesn't just lose control. The child actually seeks to hurt himself. He loses control and seeks to throw himself into the fire. He loses control and seeks to drown himself. This is a very dark, dark thing and if anybody here has ever had a child who is sick there is this feeling of powerlessness that comes over you when you see this child that you love this 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 child that you've invested your life into your youth into and they and you can't fix them like you you can't help them i i was not ready for that that emotion but as i became a parent and started to realize that there are some things that i cannot protect my children against there, there's some things that I, I just can't, I can't fix. That's a horrible feeling to realize that there are things out there that I can't protect my children from. There is a despondency that comes from that, a humbling reality that scares us. Because if we should be able to protect anything, we should be able to protect our children. What kind of world is it where a parent can't ch protect their child? What, what kind of world is it where you have to watch your child go through this kind of darkness? And so this man takes his child to the disciples, to the followers of the healer Jesus, the Messiah, the son of the living God who should. These are the guys that should be able to fix it. These are the guys that represent a man who has said that he has come to turn the world upside down. And they failed. They failed. And so Jesus comes down into this mixed. He comes into a mix of a dark world. And disciples who can't do their job. Now I want you to realize this. Jesus has given them the ability to heal people and cast out demons. Right? This is like their job description. He sent them out. Gave them this power. Said, go and go out. Cast out demons, heal people. They're like, sweet, we can do it. Okay, go forth and conquer. They go. They did a fantastic job. He brings them back. And now all of them can't cast out one demon, right? All of them can't heal one kid. And so Jesus comes down and looks at him. He's like, what? what is going on? Sometimes I listen to Matt talk about what life is like as a small business owner. And I can just imagine what it's like as you're investing in someone and then they can't like do simple tasks that you told them how to do like didn't i didn't i tell didn't i tell you you could cast out yeah we, we, sorry jesus my bad i know you were up on the mountain i know we saw the cloud that represents god come down and heard the voices and stuff but yep my bad couldn't do it and jesus response is frustration abject frustration I mean, you, you listen to this. This sounds, sounds like something that, I, that, that, a, that a, a frustrated mother would say to their child, right? 
how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? I mean, seriously, those of you with teenage children know what this feels like. That's right. You know who you are. How long shall I put up with you? Seriously? Really? One demon? You're going to take the car and drive 90 miles an hour? Like, really? You're going to do that? See, the focus, the power of the Christian church is not found in ourselves. The, fa- the power of the Christian church is found someplace else. These disciples who have been given the ability to do fantastic, wonderful things somehow cannot access that power. Jesus has left, and they can't do the simple things that they've been called to do. Something is broken here. Something is wrong. They are experiencing what we experience as a church when we wonder, why can't we help people? Why, why can't we repair our culture? Why, why can't I help somebody who is in the, in the grip of sin? Why am I powerless in the face of Satan and the world? Why? Why can't I do this? And so we see Jesus come to them, and, and this happens, and Jesus has been frustrated, and he comes and he sits down with them, and, and, they, and they, they look at him and they say, Jesus, the, the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? And he looked at them and said, because you have so little faith. And, and the, the interesting thing here is the word that he's using, it's one word, and it's, it's like little faith. And it's like, a, it's like a condition, right? And he uses it over and over again when he talks to the disciples. There are certain instances where they do something wrong, and he looks at them and says, you guys have little faith. Oh, you have little faith, right? You who suffer from this condition of little faith. And when we read that, we think, oh, well, this must be like a quantity of faith, right? Like they don't have enough faith. If they had a little bit more faith, then they could be able to do this stuff. And the more faith that you have, the more stuff that you can do, right? So if I can just have more faith, I can do more stuff. That's the way we want to think about that. But that's not what he's saying here. He's describing a different problem. Little faith is, a, is a, a problem with the kind of faith that they have. Jesus tells the disciples that they are unable to do their job because they, con- they suffer from a condition called little faith. Now, I want you to understand this. The disciples had faith. They had saving faith. They had declared who Jesus was. They knew who Jesus was. He was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. They had faith. They had saving faith. They had the kind of faith that allows you to stay with somebody who's told you crazy things and is going to a dangerous place, right? He has told them that he is going to go to Jerusalem and that they're going to beat him and kill him, and the disciples are still there with him. So I don't want you to think that these guys had no faith at all. But they lacked the kind of faith that enables a person to do things in the kingdom of God, right? They lacked an empowering faith, a kind of faith that can stand firm in the midst of crisis, the kind of, fir- the kind of faith that God can use to work in his kingdom. 
church. Our churches are filled with people who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and who are powerless to do anything about it. This type of little faith is a, is a problem that our churches have, and it's a problem that leads us to be useless. What they lacked was persistent faith. They had a poor quality of faith. This is the kind of lack of faith that Jesus accused them of when they were in the boat in the storm. Right there, there, Jesus is asleep in the back of the ship. The storm is coming in and they're freaking out and they think they're all going to die even though they're with the Messiah. And he says, oh, you have little faith and makes the storm stop. This is the kind of little faith that looked at 5,000 people and five loaves and four fishes and said, we can't feed these people. What are you going to do? And, and Jesus says, oh, you have little faith and conjures food from nowhere to feed them. This is the kind of of little faith that the disciples have Peter, James, and John have in the Garden of Gethsemane when they cannot stay awake. This is the type of faith, this little faith that made the disciples abandon Christ. That's what little faith is. He has left his disciples for a few hours and they've fallen apart because they did not have persistent, empowering faith. They did not have the faith that enables a person to move beyond themselves and work within the kingdom. They had little faith, small faith. We have taken this and equated it to some kind of spiritual, magical force that if you have more faith, then you can do more stuff. But I want you to understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, if you have even the tiniest little bit of the right kind of faith, you can do amazing things. Right? What does he say? He says that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can call out to a mountain, have it move from one place to the next. Now, I want you to understand this. There has never been a time in Christian history that God has ever called his people to make a mountain move by the force of their will. This is an expression that Jewish rabbis would use to describe something that is impossible. Okay, It's, a, it's a, an illusion. It's a, a metaphor for the impossible. What Jesus is saying here is if you have even the tiniest little bit of the right kind of faith, you can do literally the impossible with it. The key to this paradox, the key to understanding how a person can have little faith and not be able to do something, and Jesus tells them that if they have even the tiniest little bit of faith, they can do amazing things, is to go to the Gospel of Mark and see how he relates this situation. In the Gospel of Mark, he tacks a part on the end where it says, this kind can only come out through prayer. And, and while that may seem like a small thing, what it tells us is that the disciples were trying to cast out demons without prayer. That, that, that the disciples were bringing a knife to a gunfight, as it were. That they were coming down here, and for whatever reason, they were thinking that they could handle this demonic power through the power of their own words. Now, we don't know what they were doing, but it was probably something like just calling on the demon to come out of them, based on the authority that they had, based on what Jesus told them. They were practicing a kind of pseudo-Christian magic where they use words of power 
to do amazing things based on their own will. And guys, that never works. It didn't work with the disciples. It didn't work with the seven sons of Scevia. I don't know if you ever heard that story before. It's in the book of Acts. Paul is going around and he's doing miraculous things and he's curing people. And so these seven exorcists, people that take money to cast out demons and heal people, figure, hey, this Jesus guy seems like he's pretty cool. So we're going to start casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And then they encountered a real demon. And the demon looked at him and said, well, Jesus I know and Paul I've heard from, but I don't know who you are. And beat them all up and they ran out of the street naked. That's what it is like when we try to use Christ for our own means. When we try to do the try to do God kind of work without empowerment from God. That's what these guys are doing here. They're just kind of messing around and it doesn't work. The truth is that faith is what empowers the church. The small faith that moves mountains is the simple belief that God can and does manifest his will on earth and that we can participate in it if we submit to him. The power to accomplish anything in the kingdom of God comes through proper faith in God. And that's important. Because, see, the church often fails because we don't have faith. We don't have any faith. The disciples' question is the same as ours. Why are we so often unable to help the people around us? And the simple answer is because we don't believe. We don't. We don't believe that God is powerful. Reinhold Niebuhr said this once. He said, the world is full of half-believing unbelievers and half-believing believers. Little real believing in believers is Jesus' sharpest pain and the deepest source of his complaint in our stories. Believers hardly believe. And this hardly believing strips us of our ability. We don't succeed in the mission of God that God has given us because we don't believe in him. We struggle with sin because we don't believe that God can actually release us. Or we believe that what we're doing isn't really sin. We struggle with evangelism because we don't believe people are really going to go to hell. We abandon our marriages because we don't believe that God can change people. We have failed as a church because we believe the media, the entertainment industry, talk radio, the academy, all more than we believe Christ. We all suffer from little faith. It's like a disease, and it cuts us off from the power of God to do the mission that God has given us. But almost more pernicious than the lack of faith and actually believing is believing in the wrong thing. See, somewhere along the line, we got this idea that, that faith is believing what you want to happen. Right? If I believe hard enough in this thing that I want to happen, then it'll, then it'll happen, right? That, that my good thoughts will go out from me and will make this thing happen. It will change the course of reality. That's not Christianity. That's magic. 
that's trying to harness God to do your will. And it doesn't work. We do not use God to accomplish our own ends. Often the result is just silence. Right? James 4.3 says, When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You wonder why God doesn't answer your prayers? Because you're praying for yourself. I've, I've got a prayer list that's a mile long, and it's people praying for deliverance from disease. And guys, I think that diseases can be healed by God. But I also think that, that we are mortal and God calls people home. That happens. So often we are so focused on trying to keep Christians out of heaven that we're not praying for people to enter into, the, into God's kingdom. And that's harsh. I know that's harsh. See, we pray for the things that will make us happy, not the things that will glorify God. And then we're surprised when God doesn't do what we want him to do. We're like, God, I rubbed the bottle and the genie didn't come out. Like, what kind of fake garbagey religion is this? I'm going to go back to watching TV. Watch some reality TV where things work out the way they're supposed to. Faith is not the blind belief that prayer will empower us to do our will on earth. It is the understanding that through prayer, we can understand God's will. And that by understanding God's will, we can be part of his process. We are not in control, guys. I've said this over and over again. You are not the center of the world. God is the center. And you will receive power from God in so much as you are in line with God's will. First John says it this way, the faith is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we, will, we have what we want, what we asked of him. I want you to follow that. When our will is in line with his will, then the things that we ask for, God gives us. When our will is outside of God's will, he will not give us the things that we ask for. So the key is not believing more that he's going to give us the things that he doesn't want to. It's understanding who he is. It's bringing yourself into relationship with God. When I, when I was in the Marine Corps, I went through a class on how to shoot a pistol. And it was really, it was really interesting. Because the, the biggest, most important thing that they said was as you, as you hold that pistol out there, the most important thing that you need to do is line the sights up. It doesn't even matter what the target's doing. You just line the sights up. If you line the sights up, you hit the target. If you concentrate on the target or what you want to happen or whatever, you won't hit anything because the gun will be out of alignment. That's the key here to the Christian life, guys, is align yourself with the will of God. God will answer all of your prayers. That's what faith is. For the church to succeed in its mission, we must cultivate empowering faith. That means not using God to do the things we want to do. 
That means not using God so that we can have a great big building. Guys, I would love a great big building. And I'd love to drive around in a $190 million jet. So if you guys could do that, that would be awesome. But I don't know that that's the will of God. I'm just saying. It might be, but probably not. And I have to, I have to get myself on board with that. If I try to use God to get a $190 million jet, he's probably not going to answer my prayers. If I use, try to use God to get a great big building so I'll feel important and this place will be packed, that's not God's will. And he's not going to answer my prayers. We have been failing as a church because we have been trying to do our own agenda through the power of God. We have cared about everything other than the things that God told us to do. He said, go into the world, make disciples. And we've been saying, yeah, yeah, but we also want to do this thing over here. No, 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 no. You don't understand. Go into the world and make disciples. Yes, but we have a fantastic Awana program. No, no, no. Go into the world and make disciples. No, but you don't understand. We're, we're going to use the force of law to make everybody act like a Christian, and then it'll be great. No! Twisted and perverse generation, how long will I have to put up with you? You can hear God saying that to us as a church. For us to have our prayers answered, we must conform ourselves to God's will. And the way that we conform ourselves to God's will is by prayer. And prayer is something to a Christian that is as natural as breathing. We breathe out our prayers to God, trusting that he will hear us. Right? Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but by everything, by prayer and petition, make your requests known to God. God's saying, bring your request to me. Tell me what you want. I may not answer, but you will have peace. You breathe out your prayers to God, and then you listen to God's response. You don't just lay out your requests to God, and then you're like, hey, God, that's cool. You work on those, and then I'm going to get this other list ready while you're getting... You, you still haven't done those yet? Okay, well, you maybe you need a little bit more time. Here's some more. No. You pray to God, and then you listen for his response, trusting that he will speak to us and guide us. We breathe out our prayers. We breathe in his word. We listen to his responses. He speaks to us in many ways, most of which are found in Scripture. I can't tell you how many times people have come to me and said, I don't know what the will of God is for my life. I'm like, have you read it? The Bible? Well, yes, yes, but I need to know what his will for my life is. He's like, it's in Scripture. 90% of what you need to do with your life is in Scripture. When you get done all this stuff that's in here, when, when you love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and skill, when you love your neighbor as yourself, when you do these things that Christ talked about, when you're like, when you're on, you're like, yeah, I got this, man. I, I'm good. Then, then we can talk about, hey, let's get some special revelation from God. About, since, you're on, since you're on the special train, we'll get you some special revelation. 
Most of the time, the answers that we need about what we need to do with our lives are found in Scripture. Forgive your enemies. Make peace with those who hate you. He speaks to us through the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives, guiding us. But we have to shut up and listen to him. So often we talk so loud that we can't hear. Have you ever done that? You're like, you pray, you're like, well, I'm going to pray. So I'm going to talk for 45 minutes and I'm going to listen for one, maybe. I'm a great prayer. Really? Are you a great prayer? You just talk for 45 minutes. To quote my child's kindergarten teacher, if our mouths are open, our ears are closed. Sometimes you need to talk to God and sometimes you need to listen to him. He speaks to us through wise counsel of trusted Christian friends and mentors. I don't know what to do, pastor. Have you surrounded yourself with, with Christians who can disciple you? Have you whose advice are you asking? The yahoos that you work with? Brother, if you ask advice from jacked up people, you're going to get jacked up advice. You ask, you ask your coworker about what you should do about your marriage, it's going to be something like, oh, he a dog, leave him. That's not good advice. <clears throat> Surround yourself with trusted Christian people who can speak truth into your life. You may not like what they say, but it'll come from the right place. He speaks to us through the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper through our experiences in church, as we worship him. But to hear him, we have got to attune our ears. But it's not just listening, guys. Listening is important. Hearing the word of God is important. <sighs> Understanding what his will for our life is important. But empowering faith is perfected in the practice of obedience. Right? I had a drill instructor who told me once, he said, he said, he said, Perfect, you said practice makes perfect, but I say perfect practice makes perfect. And that's right before he would smoke us for doing something wrong. But, but there's a reality there. It's not enough to just know what you're supposed to do. You have to do it. You have to do the things that God has called you to do. We can know what we need to do and not do it and it doesn't matter. But the, the amazing thing about the Christian life is as we are obedient to God, he reveals more to us about we need, what we need to do. The closer we come into contact with him, the more he will tell us the things that we need to do. And the more we are in contact with him, the more he will empower us to do the amazing things that he has called us to do. That is what faith is. That's what empowering faith is. That is the kind of faith that will move mountains. That kind of faith will do things that are more amazing than move mountains. The kind of faith that has you share your faith with a lost person elicits a change that is eternal. Right? The kind of faith that has you stay in a loveless and broken marriage changes the heart of the people involved. Those are the amazing things that faith does. Those are the amazing things that God has called us to do. So my question for you this morning is do you really believe 
that God can do the things that he said he would do? Do you really have faith in God? Do you have the kind of faith that will allow you to move mountains? If not, why not? Please bow your heads with me. Dear sweet Jesus, God, we confess to you that we are a faithless people. We confess to you that we have tried to do our own will in your name. And we repent of this. God, if it is your will to save this nation, we beg that you would do it. If it's not, give us peace. Lord, if it is your will that we suffer for your name, give us the strength to do it. If there are things that we need to be doing that we are not doing, God, give us eyes to see them and courage to do them. But above all, Lord, draw our will into your will that we may reflect your glory and not our own. Lord, we ask these things in your holy name. Amen. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. If you feel the Lord working in your life, if you are tired of doing your will and not God's will, if you are tired of being outside of God's plan, come forward and we will talk with you and show you how you can dedicate your life to him. If you have wandered away from the plan of God for a long time, and you want to return to it, and you're looking for a community that you can join, fair warning, we're not perfect. We'd love to have you, warts and all. We are not perfect, but we know somebody who is perfect, and we'll help you find it. In either case, if you feel the Spirit moving, please come forward and speak with us. And if you're embarrassed, come and talk to me after church.